It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the third day of August. And as always, I am joined by my good friend from Rocky Top, Brandon Parks of the University of Tennessee. Good afternoon, Brandon. Paul, oh, did you say August? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have said anything else because it's scary that we're here. It's unbelievable. Um, it seems like just last week we're doing the, the podcast to kick off the summer. We're excited to talk about preseason promotions. And here we are in August, and and the guys were on the field this morning practicing on campus. And uh, before you know it, uh, the first game and the kickoff to the season will be here. So fun time of year. My boys are in pads, man. We're we're <laughs> we got a week zero game. It is ramping up in uh, in Tallahassee. But today we're going to talk about uh, football, certainly. But we're going to talk about uh, dealing with multiple partners in the same category. So in other words, if you as a property have got uh, two, three, four, five, 10, 20 partners in the same category, uh, how does that, how does that work? And it kind of, to me, it kind of leaks into the topic of IP, which we've done one exclusively on IP um, and exclusivity, which we've never really had a topic of exclusivity. Uh, but I think it, it, because we're talking about something that's not exclusive, right? This is the opposite of exclusivity and talking about partners that, share space. Uh, It's all very interesting to me. Um, As an agency, it's frustrating um, sometimes because our perspective is that we are either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on the side of the table you live on, um, to work with schools across the country in a variety of categories. Uh, And this discussion is always on the table. Uh, and, And our point of view in, and it's not held by everyone, and it's certainly not held by every MMR, uh, is that every category should be unique, and every market is unique. And college sports is way different from pro sports here, because college sports, hell, most of these college teams play in college towns. I know that sounds silly, but I guess there are some schools that don't, you know, Georgia Tech and UCLA and USC play in gigantic places. But college towns are dramatically different, and they have dramatically different strengths and weaknesses and category strengths and weaknesses, right, Brandon? I mean, Knoxville's not the same as uh, Tallahassee. It's not the same as Auburn and not sure as hell not the same as, uh, as Clemson. I mean, every, every place you go, they've got different categories. Yeah, and there's different dynamics in every town. Um, and, and in some towns, certain businesses and thrive and certain companies thrive and, and, and have roots there. Uh, but, in, but in other college markets, it's different. Um, and, and we are different, I think, from, from the professional teams and a lot of professional teams because those exist in, in what we would consider our major metropolitan cities across the United States. College is different. You're exactly right. You, you look at, at uh, T-Town, Tuscaloosa, and Alabama versus Knoxville and Tennessee, and the, the, there's so many things that are different. But what is the one thing that draws us all together? We're all college towns. The university ultimately is what the town is built up around. Um, and it creates opportunities, but it also creates challenges. Um, and, and when you think about exclusivity, which, which we, may, we may down the road need to do one, do a podcast on exclusivity, but with competitive categories, let me say on my side of the fence from a multimedia rights perspective, uh, we're charged with one thing for the school 
and that is to generate the most revenue that we can within their sponsorship model, which means maximizing categories. Now, our perspective, we would love to have essentially a single partner in each category that can deliver the sponsorship revenue that essentially closes the category, but that's not always gonna be the case. Um, and so it, it's a topic that we think about and we analyze really on a daily basis. And, and the topic varies based on the specific category of business. And I, I think on a go forward basis, there are certain categories that are far more concerned about exclusivity than others. Um, and and I, I think it's just an interesting topic across the board because the one thing that is happening, when you go back, Paul, in your younger days, when you started and you think about the evolution of college sports marketing, really into the 90s, so much of it was about the radio play-by-play -play broadcast and then the coaches TV show and maybe a souvenir program and some season tickets our world looks completely different now. Um, and with the evolution of technology and new sponsorship opportunities and all those things, uh, our properties have started to mature. And I think maybe some of that frustration you're talking about is when you do have a client or a new client or prospective client, the first conversation is, is there space? Is there a room that's available within the category for this new prospect to consider a partnership? Um, and, and I think I think it's certainly something that we have to continue to analyze really on an annual basis, just given the maturity level of, of our specific uh, schools and properties. One of the things that is, you know, it used to be a rule of thumb, and I'll ask you, Brandon, if it should be, because it, it, to me, it makes silly sense, right? If you have a category, regardless of what it is, and you look at it, and the idea is if everyone in the category added up to $2, then and you had a sponsor willing to spend two dollars and ten cents, then you'll take that sponsor for two dollars and ten cents because it's more money, right? And and that was the rule of thumb. And so if you want to shut out a category, fine. Spend what we can make in the category from however many partners it takes. Is that still true today for you? Yeah, I think I think to some extent it is, yes. Um you you if you if you decide to to totally close a category. I do think it's important that the partner that gains the traction or the exclusivity in the category uh, gives you an incremental bump above what the category could generate collectively with multiple partners. Right. Because I do think I do think you have to assume some risk there. There is risk when you only have one partner in the category. Right. Um, and and so that's worth something too, and that exclusivity is worth something too. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too far down the exclusivity rabbit hole, I do that. That's so knowing that that's the case, I go back to the frustration, which is in the MMR world, I mean, there's only three or four of you out there, right? That, that are multimedia rights holders. Learfield being obviously a big one, but there's three or four others that are out there. The problem is, is the note comparing that happens with MMRs. Because if you look at your neighbor across the state or in the conference or even in your region, and they are getting X amount of money in the gas category or the hospital category or whatever it is, or even it, it, to get back to IP rights. So forget about exclusivity for a second, just talk about splitting a category. When you talk about what are the IP rights, too many schools, and again, I know you're probably gonna argue with me here, I think it's ridiculous when a school says, this is our number for IP, because every category is different. And, there are, and if you have a category and say, okay, 
nobody in the world is going to want to be the official, you know, button of Boise State. Okay, there's only so many button manufacturers out there. We want to be the official button. You're not going to get if your minimum, if your th- theoretical minimum is 125 grand. Well, for the button category, we're do it for you for 25. That's okay. That's realistic. Which is now getting back to the splitting the category, and that's why as an agency, we want our clients, no matter who they are, to be able to execute in the ways you just talked about. I want to go online and and help collect data and move product and get people to walk in my stores. And I want to be able to use the passion of sports to do it. And I can't do that without some level of IP, right? I can't, I can't lie to the client. And so when you split a category, right. one of the things that is, is difficult from an agency perspective is say, okay, we're going to split a category. We're going to have uh, insurance. Great example. You may be the only one of two clients in the whole country that has exclusivity in insurance, I think. Maybe you even don't. I don't know. But you have a massive we, insurance client. We we have mature clients, but we do not have exclusivity. Perfect. So in insurance, right, you have most colleges have anywhere from five to 10 insurance clients. Most of those insurance clients have some level of IP, right, that they got. And so they're able to execute all those things. Insurance is great because they all spend big money. That's not true in every category, right? Um, right. And so when you talk about a smaller category, whatever that is, not everyone gets IP to be able to execute, but you have to be able to share space, which is the ultimate question in this podcast. Right. And, and two things I'll, I'll follow up with that. One on the creation of the threshold around IP. What is the minimum spend level that we feel like we need to achieve for IP to be granted to certain partners? Um, we do so for a couple of reasons. One, so that there is value in using the IP, because if everyone can access it, and everyone can use it, what's the true value of it? So it is it is sort of a, a gate to entry there as far as, as having fewer company sponsors to member that have access to your rights so that there is value in the intellectual property. Now, where I think that we're evolving to is a place where we understand where you're coming from because hopefully we're listening to agencies and clients more that in certain instances, in certain categories, we have to think about it differently than just going straight and saying, okay, it's black and white. There is no gray area here. It's black and white. This is the threshold. And if you can't meet the threshold, then, you know, I'm not sure we can grant IP usage. I think we have to be a little bit more flexible in that regard for exactly what you're talking about in the sense that the majority of sponsorship properties across the country, those top 20 categories that dominate and and the large revenue is generated. In a lot of instances, we're mature in a lot of those categories. So when we're out searching for new dollars, we're running into categories that are non-traditional, categories Mm -hmm. that can't spend at the level that the top 20 can. So we as an institution have to make a decision. Are we willing to be flexible in that category in our model to be able to accept those dollars? And and I wish everyone thought that way, Brandon, but clearly there's too many schools out there we've run into that simply say, hits is the number. And if you don't hit the number, I'm sorry. And that's just such a mistake. And that's what is frustrating because I'm not, I completely agree with you. You shouldn't give IP to everybody. No one deserves it. Not everyone deserves it. Right. And but my point is, is I think IP should be category specific. Yeah. And and let me throw something else. Let's talk about IP specific to certain sports. That's something that we've started to do more and more 
where we may have a football only sponsor who has IP rights. And they, while they may have an annual contract, it's really a six month activation window. So we have gone in in some contracts and started to limit based on calendar dates, the usage of the IP. So you can use the IP while you're active with us specifically in football, because that's where your assets and your sponsorship lies. It's not just a carte blanche. Here's the logo use as you will. And another angle to that, which I think you and your agency has done a really good job on. I think there's certain instances where certain companies come in and maybe they don't want to be involved in all the noise of football and basketball, but they would like to come in and do more things with your Olympic sports. Well, on the flip side, on the university side, that's a good message for us that companies want to be involved with Olympic type sports that historically don't get a lot of sponsorship love. So are we willing to look at IP usages around those sports uh, because it's a growing area for us. And I, I think if we're smart, we're considering it. Yeah, agreed. So, and thank you, because I know you do a great job at this. And if you didn't, we wouldn't be podcasting together. So the the interesting thing here, you talked about how you share a category. And and I, I don't know if you wanted to go through some categories, but it certainly is very interesting because we've seen it evolve in the 20 years that you and I have been doing this. Uh, I mean, there was a time when there was a bank. And right. then all of a sudden, you know, that category got, just completely, you know, blown up. Now it's retail bank, credit union, credit card, mortgage, and they're all massive categories, right? But they tend to be exclusive. Um, they, you know, those, so that's, a, that's not a hard one because after you carve up the category, they tend to all, it kind of, it, the, the water's kind of risen and all those different categories have kind of worked itself out. Whereas interesting is some of the ones that are below, you know, the, some of the categories that are below that. We know that insurance is probably never an exclusive. Um, but, you know, when you talk about restaurants, right? You said, okay, that'll never be an exclusive in a restaurant category, but you know what? There has been some instances. We have a client that is the exclusive Tex-Mex restaurant in, with a couple schools. Um, it's amazing. It's great. Uh, and pizza went through the roof and now is back down across the country, right? The pizza wars, it went on and on and on. Well, pizza is certainly food and it's a restaurant, but you could be a restaurant that serves pizza, but the official exclusive pizza, you know, kind of share. So restaurant is a category that's probably unique, right? Yeah. And, and really across the board, subdividing categories out has become a real commonplace practice. And just like what you know about in restaurant, if we go to quick service restaurant, that can't be just a category by itself. So within the quick service restaurant category, there may be hamburger quick service restaurants that you think about, McDonald's, Hardee's, um, Burger King, et cetera. Then you have sandwiches within quick service because how many sub places now exist across the board, whereas 25 years ago, Subway was this dominant national franchise in that specific subcategory. Um, so we do go out and sub it all out. Now, it's interesting when you get that conversation of, Okay, so you're telling me that I'll be your partner in the quick service category for hamburger, but the reality is I'm competing against all the QSRs across the board, regardless of what style food that we serve. Um, and, you know, that becomes a pretty interesting conversation because that's hard to defend. It is, um, and, 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 but restaurant will never change, right? You're always going to, you can split it up, but you're, you're going to have to share space regardless. That's right. That's right. And I, Another another category that I think is fascinating to follow has been automotive. Um, and 
and let me let me get out of sports for just a second. But if you turn on the six o'clock news at night, how many car brands, automotive brands, do you see that are advertising during the six o'clock news? And I had one automotive brand say, exclusivity is a thing of the past for us. Everyone's in the six o'clock news, so I can't afford not to be in the six o'clock news. And there's been some of that mentality that I think has almost bled over into the sports. Uh, there's certainly been other sports venues that I've been to where you see five, six, seven, eight car brands. And at some point, you, it begs the question, is it diluting that value? And the, answer, um, the answer is clearly yes. <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, I... <laughs> the, the one thing I will tell you relative to automotive that we try to do, and let me say this, we try to do this across all categories where we have multiple players in the category. We try to create distinction, differentiation, and mass separation if it possible. And you know, we're a, probably a pretty good example of that at Tennessee. Um, we've had the Ford relationship for almost 40 years now, and it has always been a, a radio, television, media-focused partnership. But then on the other side, Toyota has coexisted with those guys, and Toyota's been involved for almost 20 years, 25 years now. But they are much more focused on grassroots, fan fest, activation, display, and in-venue signage. So those two have coexisted at Tennessee and really have had some mass separation. Um, but the category continues to get more and more competitive. And there's not necessarily a player that stepped up and said, we think we can spend what the category will bear and a little bit more incrementally to make it worth your while to only have one brand partner. So for now, we're forced to coexist with, with all the above and do the best job we can for each one. You talk about separation. One of the, uh, I, I always laughed at the story internally. So this is well before the current staff at Texas A&M was there. So I hope they don't take offense, but this was, we had, we represented an insurance partner uh, at, at, at A&M and they were a pretty large sponsor and they invited the, the CEO to come to a suite for a game. And so the CEO goes to the suite and we find out that they also invited the CEO of their competitor and sat them next to each other in the suite at the game. And then, we, so we get the call on the Monday after the game. Hey, I have, I no, had a, I have no words right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a I had a great time meeting uh, you know Tom Smith at uh, at the competitor. We uh, we exchanged notes, and uh, this is what I want you to do better. <laughs> I'm like, holy good gravy, that was a mistake. You know, it's one thing to separate them by quarters, but another thing to invite the same folks to the same game. That's crazy. Um, you know, I, I'm always amazed when we talk about categories about schools. I and mean, you just talked about how you got two major auto manufacturers to coexist that with the schools are able to take categories that are usually exclusive and are able to make them work together. I'm gonna be a great example and, and all the credit here to, to these schools. Georgia, for years, and I can't say if it's today, you probably already know this, for years got three grocers, three different grocers to spend more than a half million dollars with them. And, and, and I may be a little off up and down, but three major, major partnerships in the grocery category coexisting at the University of Georgia. And, and all of those numbers, by the way, were more than we were spending to be the exclusive grocer at five other major Southern institutions. It was, so I, I, Georgia, holy smokes, how do you pull that off, right? Crazy. 
Um, so whenever that happens, it blows my mind. I know there are, uh, there are schools out there that, especially in the last 15 years or 10 years, um, have taken healthcare and just made that, you know, they killed it. They've got enough healthcare components around. And again, a category split, right? We've got orthopedics, got hospital, we got urgent care. We got a lot of stuff going on out there. They're seemingly making enough money. The insurance companies appear to be uh, healthy. So I'm sure the hospitals, et cetera, are healthy. Um, but I've seen that too, where they're able to coexist multiple hospitals and they're able to coexist multiple ortho, et cetera, et cetera. You seen that too, Brandon? Yeah, no, we see the same thing. And, and again, it's that fine line where you've been charged by the school to, to drive as much revenue in the category as you can and you subdivide as best you can and you create mass separation among assets as best you can. And you hope you don't ever reach that point where it tips. Yep. And, and then you go into a renewal discussion and none of the parties are pleased. Yeah, I've um, been there. Holy smokes. That yeah. is that is a bad scenario, but it happens. You're exactly right. Because there is a point in there. There's a point when you piss them both off together, you know, or all three of them. And they all say we're out and you don't even know how it happened. And then you wake up the next morning and you got nothing. No, it, it's exactly right. Um, and, and regardless of, how well you may have done in managing the relationship and, and, and delivering and over-delivering and all of those things, uh, perception becomes reality in the marketplace. And when it tips, it tips. And, and then you're in a, a tough place. And we, we talk about this a lot on podcasts. It is a lot easier to keep a current client than it is to go find a new one. And, right. you know, we're, we're charged every day with delivering the best possible experience that we possibly can, but also moving the revenue needle and hoping that we don't get to that tipping point. Um, and, and, you know, do we do take some direction and lead from what we see in professional sports? And, and I've started to see specifically in the NBA uh, over the last couple of years, they'll go into competitive categories and inside of the basketball arena, they'll, they'll almost divide out assets based on the category. So let's take automotive. You may have an automotive partner that is on the goal pad of the basketball floor. Uh, and then, so one brand has the goal pad while another brand may get courtside rotational signage. And they go in and negotiate based on the assets and the almost the exclusivity of the assets. So uh, one brand has courtside signage, the other brand has the goal pad. You know, we're not there, we're not there currently. And that seems like a very aggressive place place to go and to live. And a lot of it's going to come back to what will the market truly bear and, and what will they accept? That's right. Um, but it, it is. And, a, and that reality, uh, yeah. and I guess getting back to my original frustration, Brandon, that reality is what frustrates me because the MMRs compare notes. Again, that's what drives me nuts. If you were an MMR and you weren't in Ohio and you saw what Ohio State was able to get in the Kyer category, right? There are freaking 100 tire brands within 100 miles of Ohio State, right? Every every yeah. rubber manufacturer in the country is, well, if you're in Arizona State, you're not getting that kind of tire money. So stop it. Stop looking at what they're getting and thinking that's real. And so that's what makes them, you know, the college fan. And one of the reasons you just said, I'm just going to jump on it. When you said it in terms of asset, to have an asset exclusivity in the college game, no, no chance. The reason is, is because people are not buying college for the same reason they're buying pros. 
They're buying, they're spending the money is different and they're buying it for different reasons, okay? They're completely different goals and objectives and they're buying it for different reasons and they're way more, way more money is changing hands. The college fan and the, co and the college sponsor merge. That subset are together. The, you could be a massive spender on the pro level and don't even care if the team wins or loses. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. The, the, the motivation behind the college partnerships to me just feels very different than what the professional relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, again, about promoting that hometown school, the affinity and passion and all the reasons that you and I do what we do. Um, and, and I'll say this back to your MMR point and comparing properties and who's getting what in certain categories and so forth. The one thing that I will say probably against that thought process relative to uh, our company or our, our, our side of the business, um, for, for a lot of key categories that service real basic needs, um, talk about food, talk about health care talk about banking. And in this instance, you mentioned Columbus, Ohio. Go look up the uh, total population in Columbus, Ohio, and then go look at the total population in Knoxville, Tennessee. And let's have a conversation around the medical center at Ohio State. And based on the population in Columbus, how many people they serve and then generate revenue from and then look at Knoxville, Tennessee and the UT Medical Center and the population that it serves here. And in a lot of instances, you get into apples and oranges conversations. So it's right. not fair necessarily to go, to, to go and say, well, why is one property generating more money in this category than another? Without looking at market conditions and market dynamics, I don't necessarily think that's fair. I agree with you. I mean, we're not arguing at all. We're saying the same thing. That's what I'm saying is that just because a property is in your conference doesn't mean they should get the same number. Every, every market is dramatically different. I agree with you. And, and talking about categories, you know, it, think about where we were 20 years ago in liquids, you know, Pepsi and Coke, you had two choices and they had everything. They had everything, every single yeah. liquid form other than beer in that stadium was going to be controlled by one of those two, you know, to the point where Pepsi bought Gatorade. Right. And then Coke said, no, we got Powerade and we just, and they started, you know, it, it, it the contracts and all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere again this is where the pro model they, they were the first ones right is that they started isotonic became its own category and yep. then gatorade drove that and I, they took it all the way to the moon and no one could compete with them except you're going to go out there and do crazy things i remember way back when i was still in college when florida state had a had a uh a, just a they weren't going to have the g word right they weren't going to serve that on the sideline so they were going to have anything else but that they had a program they had a program named 10k it was absolute flavored swill. It was terrible. But Coach Bowden's out there talking about how great this 10K was, and they had to go because isotonic was a new category. But we, and then water was a category, and then energy drinks right. was a category, and then the milk category, you know, and you've got, so now liquid, good golly, you know, if you extend it, you've got 10 categories in liquids. Right. And going back to your tipping point, part of that was driven by the fact that Coke and Pepsi fought so hard they always wanted to win but there were certain points in certain schools where they just walked they both collectively walked right and when yeah. they and when they did that or threatened to do that it was hard it was hard and and i'll tell you the challenge from from our side as the category started to expand 
you started to see Coke and Pepsi then try to protect themselves in those different expansion categories, whether or not they had a product or not, Yeah, which became very challenging. And, um, you know, we, we had, we had that discussion around coffee at one point and, and whether that was protected in our current four rights agreement or not. Um, interesting enough at Tennessee, we play obviously in a hundred and one year old stadium. Uh, Coke was the very first sponsor of Tennessee. Uh, they had a sign on the old school traditional uh, clock, uh, which visually was not a digital clock. It was obviously the old school um, circle clock. Uh, they were on that scoreboard a uh, hundred years ago. It is the only soft drink that has ever been served inside Neyland Stadium, which is a pretty unique story. That is unique. And they're probably, and uh, Coke has probably paid for that deal over and over again with just their game day sales. They don't have to, uh, they don't have to look very far to see if that's a success or not. But so categories, you know, I think, I think we, we both agree, Brandon, no matter how, where you go, uh, you, it, we both say the same thing. I mean, it is a market specific piece. And I, as long as there is flexibility um, within, within the market, uh, then we're fine. You know, if, if, if the, person that's on the other side of the table, whether it's an agency or whether it's the property, understands that every category is unique and every category that you can split the category three ways and is incredibly open and honest about that. We didn't even talk about that. To tell everybody what the other guys have, you don't have to go into numbers or inventory, but just say, hey, your competitor is also here. Uh, they, are, have, they have our post-game rights or your competitor is here. They're doing an out-of-stadium execution. If all of that is open and honest and you can talk about the success that you anticipate for them and here is what's happening, you know, ultimately the goal is drive them, drive that bus where you want them to go, take them to the spot where they're contemplating exclusivity or they're happy where they are and they know it and you know it. Yeah, no, and you, you said it precisely correct. I, I, in fact, we talk about it in our office and we, we challenge our office be open to at least having exploratory conversations to see if, if something is there, if something is workable, can we create something that can last um, and coexist um, and, and maybe not be as narrow-minded uh, as, we, as we have been sometimes in the past. Um, again, because this is never going to change. We are always going to be in a race to generate more revenue for the athletics departments that we represent, because ultimately their budget dollars have to get better and larger so that they can continue to compete uh, relative to their their individual conferences. And and that's not going to change. So we we either open up new categories, we create new assets and new toys to go out, go to market to um, or 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 we become more aggressive around our IP rights and our exclusivities. Um, there, there are only so many levers there that we can pull to continue to incrementally grow and do, and doing so at mature properties uh, can, can certainly be difficult year to year. Especially mature properties like yours in a market that is not going to become New York tomorrow. Right. So you have to just realize who you are right. and where you can go, but all right, that's enough time for us today. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners and we appreciate all you guys downloading us and subscribing. Uh, and if you do uh, happen to uh, give us a rating, it helps us, uh, it helps us uh, present ourselves in more places. So on behalf of Brandon Parks, I am Paul Sigmund from Knox Sports. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next edition of Knox Talk.